Welcome to Our Missouri, a podcast about the people, places, culture, and history of the 114 counties and independent city of St. Louis that comprise the great state of Missouri. Each episode focuses on a topic related to the state, ranging from publications about Missouri's history to current projects undertaken by organizations to preserve and promote local institutions. The Our Missouri podcast is recorded at the Center for Missouri Studies in Columbia and is generously provided to you by the State Historical Society of Missouri. And now, here's your host, Sean Ross. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, or whatever hour you're tuning in to listen to the Our Missouri podcast. My name is Sean Ross, and I'll be your guide as we explore the memories, moments, and misfortunes from our Missouri. Welcome back to our series on Historic Missourians. If you're not familiar with Historic Missourians, it is a website curated and managed by the State Historical Society of Missouri that features biography on notable and historic Missouri individuals and geared towards students learning about Missouri history for the first time. Today we are joined by Doug Jennings. He holds a PhD in history from UC Santa Barbara and is presently the oral historian for the State Historical Society of Missouri. He has also contributed to Historic Missourians and is here today to talk about his new biography on scientist Mary Jane Guthrie. Welcome to our Missouri, Doug. Hey, it's great to be here, Sean. It was a long walk across the office, but I made it safely. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about Mary Jane Guthrie. How did you find out information about her in preparation for this article that you wrote? Yeah, it was not easy to do. Uh, be- a lot of people, or some people, will leave behind archives that have uh, sort of a, a detailed record of their lives. And this is a really great way to find out information about someone. And Mary Jane Guthrie sadly didn't leave that behind. So I had to pull from a lot of different sources to, to get a picture of what her life was like. And in particular, I looked at newspapers, I looked at high school yearbooks and college yearbooks. Uh, census records were really helpful. Guthrie did publish some articles and books. Uh, she was a zoologist, which we'll talk about later. So she published some articles and books in that field. And then there were some short biographies that did appear in some scientific encyclopedias, uh, in particular, the American Men of Science, uh, which I want to talk about a little bit more later. Uh, this sort of highlights the work of scientists doing important research in their fields. And it was published first, I believe, in 1909. So yeah, I mean, each of these contributed in, in pretty significant ways. So as listeners of this podcast might know, the State Historical Society has a really extensive newspaper collection. Uh, and if you come to our reference library, you get on our computers, you can get full access to that through newspapers.com. And it's keyword searchable, which is really nice. So I was able to just plug in Mary Guthrie, Mary Jane Guthrie, any different permutation to try to find out about her. And, and this was pretty cool because, you know, several times throughout her career, she popped up in the newspapers for her research, which suggests to me that she was doing research that was interesting or important enough that the public, you know, wanted to know about it or, or newspaper editors thought they should know about it. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, and census records were really crucial for finding out about her family. As I'll mention in a little bit, we don't know that much about her early life, but through we can trace her family in the census. and. We can find out what her parents and grandparents did for work, the people living in their household, and then their sort of their movement over time. And yeah, and then the American Men of Science uh, is is pretty interesting, in part because it shows that she was an important scientist during this period. If if you if you're in that index, it means you're important. Uh, you were doing important work. Uh, but it's also interesting because I think it highlights the gender inequality that she faced throughout her career. I mean, it's right in the title of the book, uh, American Men of Science. Mm-hmm. Guthrie was a woman, uh, so she didn't even sort of get that recognition that there were, you know, women in science during this period doing important work. 
um, or at least in the title anyway. So it wasn't until 1971, actually, that they finally changed the title of it from American Men of Science to American Men and Women of Science. And I also just want to highlight yearbooks, too. Uh, we have a great collection of local yearbooks, and uh, you can, we find out some, some great information about Guthrie in those yearbooks. We get good pictures. But we also found out about other aspects of her life, that she liked to play sports. She was big into field hockey and softball and basketball. Of those resources, what was particularly helpful in, in crafting the biography? What was one that really stood out for you as a, as a quintessential source? Yeah, it really was, I think, the newspapers. That was uh, a, a great source of information, particularly, as I mentioned, about her research. And it was important because her research articles that she published are really dense. So, you know, I could read an article about that, that was publicizing information about her bat research or her research into uh, the early stages of cancer and actually understand what the key takeaways were. And, and I, I guess I would also really say the census is critically important. Uh, probably for anyone who has done uh, historical research, either for genealogy or for a class project, I think the census is invaluable because you can really get a sense of, of, of people's movement over time, their employment, and, and it's a way to find out about people who aren't easily accessible in other parts of the historical record. Now, you kind of alluded to it a little bit there about the difficulty in tracking down some early history for her, but talk a little bit about where she grew up at, about her youth. Yeah, so, yeah, there's really not a whole lot we know about her childhood. Uh, but she was born in December 1895 in New Bloomfield, Missouri, which is in Callaway County. And, and we were able to find out that her family had been in that region since, I think, 1819. Uh, and that's when her great-grandfather, this guy named Samuel T. Guthrie, migrated there from Kentucky. So he didn't settle in New Bloomfield proper. He settled just outside of it in this town that would soon become called Guthrie, or a few decades later would become uh, would be called Guthrie. So the record presents some conflicting views, but there is a chance that the town was named after Samuel T. Guthrie. Um, but other sources say there was another Guthrie family, not related, uh, and that the town was actually named after them. It, it might be just one of those like Callaway County stories we'll never be able to settle. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, so for the first decade of her life, from 1895 to um, about 1905 or 1906, she lived in New Bloomfield. And then for reasons unknown, she, her and her family moved uh, from New Bloomfield to Columbia. And I should say that while living in New Bloomfield, she was living in a multi-generational household. Uh, her mom and dad were living with her uh, father's grandparents on a farm uh, where her father uh, and grandfather tended to the farm and then the, uh, her, her mother and grandmother tended to the household. And also living with her was a cousin who was working as a teacher. So I think it, that gives us like a nice insight into the, her, her family dynamics, but that's also pretty representational of the, of the period. A lot of, a lot of uh, farm families at the time were living in these sort of larger multi-generational households. Uh, so yeah, when she moved to Columbia, we don't really know why, but it's possible that uh, she moved there or was moved there for work. Uh, her, her father started working as a carpenter, so it's possible that he moved to Columbia to pursue that work. Maybe it was easier to get more jobs as a carpenter in a bigger city, but it's something we just really don't know. And as far as education goes, uh, we know that she graduated from Columbia High School in 1912 and that she would go on to get her PhD in zoology from Bryn Mawr later on. You referenced Bryn Mawr there. Talk a little bit about the time she spent out of state. There's a lot of Missouri connections, obviously, but she also spends time beyond the boundaries of the state. Yeah, so I mean, from 1895 to 1950, she's, she's really rooted in Missouri, but there are a couple times that she does leave. So she graduates from Columbia High School in 1912, 
then gets her bachelor's of science degree in uh, 1916 from the University of Missouri. And from there, she leaves to go to Bryn Mawr to get her PhD, also in the field of zoology. Uh, she does return after that in 1922 when she gets her degree and she's a teacher uh, at the University of Missouri. But she did continue to, to travel and do a little bit of research outside of the state as well. And in particular, she spent a few years at uh, the Woods Hole Research Facility in Massachusetts. It's sort of, uh, I'm not even really sure how I would describe it because I'm not much of a scientist, <laughs> but it is a place where people can go and do aquatic and zoological research. Um, she was there for a couple of years, but mostly the, a big chunk of her career was spent in the state. Now take us through a bit of some of those major moments in, in, in her career. What are some of those defining elements? Yeah, so I think there are two things that I would like to highlight here, and both of them relate to her research, uh, her scientific research. So first off, Guthrie actually conducted fairly pathbreaking research on bats, uh, Missouri bats, in the early 1930s. According to some accounts, uh, the studies that she was doing were the most comprehensive done at the time. So uh, she did her research by basically collecting, uh, I think she ended up collecting about 3,000 bats from two caves around uh, Columbia. One was Hunter's Cave, which I believe is sort of northwest of Ashland, which is sort of halfway between you know, Columbia and Ashland is where the cave is, and then Rocheport Cave. So collecting bats is not as she would discover, is not really easy. So some of the newspaper articles of the period, uh, she's talking about the methods. And apparently the first method they tried was just shooting the bats with a gun. And I think she said something like, you know, that the bats will test the skills of any true marksman, you know, indicating that it's not really easy to shoot these things as they're flying through the air. So, one, so she and one of her colleagues developed this tool that's pretty crazy. It's called the bat snatcher. That's what they called it. It was a, a sort of a pole with forceps on one end and then a lever on the other. And you pull the lever and the forceps open and close. And she would use this basically to pick bats off the, the cave ceiling uh, while they're hibernating. So they're, they're, they're still, you can get them while they're still. And then she'd put them in her sack. That wasn't the only way though. She also, her and her colleagues devised like this sort of big net uh, and they would wait at the opening, like a small opening of the caves and as the bats are sort of rushing out into the night, they would just swing the net and try to catch as many bats as possible. Yeah, and as I said, they got 3,000 over the course of their, I can't remember how, how long the study went on. It was several years in the 1930s though. So yeah, this, this study proved to be pretty important for our understanding of bats. She discovered six bat species living in Missouri, including one that had never been discovered uh, by, by previous researchers. She also learned about their migratory patterns. She discovered that most bats are migratory and that in mid-Missouri, their pattern follows the Missouri River. Uh, and then she also apparently settled some really long-standing debates in the, in the field of bat research about mating, their mating rituals. She discovered that they mate in both the spring and the winter. This was apparently a heated debate among bat scientists and, that she, and she was able to settle that. There's another interesting element of this. So uh, scientists often get outside funding to do their research. And Guthrie was no, uh, she was no different in that regard. So she applied for some fellowships some, uh, from the Rockefeller Foundation, which was supporting scientific research in the 30s. And uh, sort of like the American Men of Science instance, this also sort of highlights some of the gender inequality she faced. So I was able to discover that when she was applying for these grants, uh, the, the foundation said, you know, we're not really sure that you're qualified as a, you know, as a woman scientist. Uh, I think you're going to need to prove 
your credentials a little bit more. Show us that you really are up to snuff. So apparently she you know, jumped through those additional hoops and proved that she was capable of putting Rockefeller money to good use, and they, they funded her research quite a bit throughout the 1930s. Um, so it highlights, I think, a little bit of the, obviously the gender discrimination that uh, women scientists were facing during that period, but also her, her skills and her uh, dedication, I think. You know, she didn't let that phase her. She you know, continued to work hard and get that money. The other instance I'd like to highlight is the cancer research she did. So from 1922 to 1950, she was in the uh, zoology department at the University of Missouri. She was promoted several times. She became full professor. And then at the end of the, peer, at the, end of the 1940s, she was promoted to chair. She was the department chair, which is a, which is a, big, which is a big thing. So, but in 1950, she left uh, Mizzou to go work at the Detroit Institute of Cancer Research. And her research here was pretty complicated. Uh, I, I won't pretend that I understood the articles that I read that she published, but fortunately for these newspa some newspaper articles explained what the deal was. So she was focusing primarily on mice, female mice, and in particular, the relationship between hor hormones and ovaries in these female mice. And, and she found, I'm not exactly sure how, but she discovered that when some hormones that were sent from the base of, of a gland by the brain failed to reach those ovaries, tumors started to develop, cancerous tumors started to develop. So this proved to be pretty important because it helped doctors and other scientists detect the growth of cancerous cells uh, at an earlier stage of development. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's very significant, <laughs> a, a pretty major finding. What's something about Mary Jane Guthrie that I mean, not many, very many people may know about her, but especially if they did know of her, that they may not know. So in the late 1930s, when she was doing her bat research, uh, Charles Schwartz, who uh, would go on to be a, a pretty famous uh, wildlife uh, artist and conservationist in the state of Missouri, he was doing some paintings for scientists at the University of Missouri, some oil paintings that reflected their research. Uh, so I couldn't find the painting. So I, I'm hoping that if there are any listeners out there that know about this painting, uh, that might help us find it. I'm hoping that it's a really cool oil painting of, of, uh, of Mary Jane Guthrie holding a bat snatcher <laughs> or, her, or her bat net. Uh, so I, I think it's pretty cool that, yeah, she was doing this pretty important work and that Charles Schwartz, this, you know, this famous painter, would, would, did a painting of her. Um, I would love to find it. Thinking about how these biographies are really geared towards uh, students who are learning about Missouri history and individuals connected to Missouri history, for those students, what is something that you hope they take away from this biography, looking at the life of Mary Jane Guthrie? Yeah, I think the main thing people should take away from her is that she uh, was a dedicated and tireless researcher. So she not only did uh, these important studies in, in bats and mice, uh, but she was also a really dedicated teacher as well. She published field-defining uh, textbooks in the, in, uh, the field of zoology. Uh, and she really encouraged students to not just learn the science of zoology, but to take that and then apply that sort of rigorous scientific thinking into the real world. And I think she was a, a really a firm believer in uh, what scientific education, how it can improve humanity. I also want to highlight the fact that she uh, you know, was a woman scientist during a period when it was really difficult to be a woman scientist. And I hope students can be inspired by her story of tireless dedication to her field uh, and her willingness to overcome the hurdles that were put in her way. And she still did really important work despite all of that. Uh, I think it's you know, an inspiring story and not many people know about her. So I think hopefully we can learn not only about her, but from her as well. 
right. Thank you very much for joining us, Doug. Thanks, Sean. Happy to be here. Thank you for listening to the R Missouri podcast. If you would like to learn more about the podcast, including past and future episodes, information about guests and upcoming events, please visit our website at shsmo.org forward slash our dash Missouri. <laughs>